for Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the disruptions of the pandemic have been particularly challenging for many children with autism spectrum disorder. When we throw things up in the air, it can lead to even more challenges for these kids than it might for somebody else. Cheryl Clayman, a psychologist at the Marcus Autism Center, joins me to discuss what the pandemic has meant for these kids and how they've adapted. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. The pandemic has disrupted many parts of our normal lives, but the changes it's brought about have been particularly challenging for children with autism spectrum disorder. Cheryl Clayman, a psychologist at the Marcus Autism Center, says it's not been all bad for all kids, though, and that families have found ways to adapt. She's with me now for more. Cheryl, thanks for talking with me. Thanks for having me. I am sure that you have been front and center for seeing how this situation has affected children with autism spectrum disorder. What have the kind of broad impacts been for these kids? Sure. There's been so many things that I feel have gone on and so many different phases that have happened over the course of this year. So at first, it's everything is put up in the unknown. And so our kids on the autism spectrum typically have a lot of difficulty with transitions, and they do so much better with structure and routine, pretty much like any child, but even more so for children with autism spectrum disorder. And so when nobody really knew what was going on and parents can't be there to really be as providing information and soothing because they're all anxious as well, I think it threw a lot of things up in the air. Initially, that was the phase. Then we get into, okay, now we know what we're doing. We're going to have a structure with school. And then some schools start going back and other schools are staying closed. Sometimes in two households, you might have different plans for different children. So there's, again, just a lot of lack of structure and changes to the routine that kept happening. So that was one of the things uh, I think that was a big challenge for not only the children, but the families, the siblings, all of us, really. And let's dig into that a little bit more. For a listener who might not know any children with autism spectrum disorder, what is it about a routine that is helpful to these kids? And and how can those disruptions to that routine really impact them? Sure. So autism is a neurodevelopmental disability. And it leads to difficulties and challenges for our kids in what we call social communication and repetitive behaviors. 
And when we think about what some of those difficulties are, so if you think about challenges with social communication, they might not be understanding as much as you would expect for another child their age, or they might have difficulty expressing themselves. So if they're worried or anxious or mad, those emotions can be difficult for them to express. And so now as parents and teachers and psychologists and siblings, we're trying to really read into what's going on for them till we can make these accommodations. And then if we think about the repetitive behaviors, some of them are like they like to do the same things over and over. And sometimes what that leads to is these difficulties with transitions. So based on kind of thinking about the presentation of autism spectrum disorder, we can see difficulties in these areas that can, when we change them or throw things up in the air, it can lead to even more challenges for these kids than it might for somebody else. So I'm wondering if you've seen any ways that your patients and their families have been able to successfully cope with that kind of disruption. Sure. So our families have been doing amazing, amazing work trying to keep everything moving along successfully for their kids. And so some of the things that they do is they, they're setting up their own structure and routine. They have mobilized really well to learning how to use all the educational virtual systems that are in place from you know, Zoom classrooms to Google classrooms to Google backpacks to all these different things. Parents have become experts on them as well. And that support and help has really helped kids. The other thing parents do when they come here to Marcus Autism Center will help guide them in thinking through any types of strategies and solutions that can be had. So some of the things we might recommend would be things like visual schedules. And so maybe if, especially if things are going to change frequently, maybe we'll have a different visual schedule for every single day or to-do list kinds of things can be really helpful. So they can check them off and see where they are next, see where they're going to be next, especially, again, if something's going to change regularly. We also recommend a lot of what we call social stories. So especially if there's um, some gray to a situation, maybe we're going to say, okay, today we might you know, be in school. Maybe it's not going to last the whole time because maybe the teacher's going to dismiss you early. And that's okay. We're going to do this instead if that happens. And so we can try and start talking through the stories that could be presenting a little bit more of those nuances to, to what may be happening in a day-to-day schedule. That gets to having these children truly understand what's going on in a situation that is so changeable. That seems like that would be a challenge for any child, but even a greater challenge for someone with autism spectrum disorder, just understanding what's happening. Right, absolutely. It can be a huge challenge just to try and navigate that because many times as parents, we don't know what's happening or what's going to happen next week or you know, we're doing surveys to determine whether schools are going to reopen and we're going to be back in person, but all that's kind of up in the air. So it's really hard to plan for any of that right now. I'm wondering, too, about the impact that you've seen on school being disrupted for these kids. My sense is that all children get more than just an education from school. There's additional services. There's that social interaction. How kind of specifically has this community been affected by schools being closed for so long? Yeah, I think that's a a great question. I think we're still going to be learning so much about that as kids start to really come back to school. But some of the things that we see 
is some of our kids on the autism spectrum do much better when they're in front of a computer rather than in a school setting because that social interaction can be such a challenge for them. And so in some ways, some of the education for those children that can handle being in front of their computer and engaging with their academic curriculum that way can be that they've been really thriving. Some parents have been saying to us that, you know, their children are living their best life right now. But what has that impact been to the social interactions and what is that going to mean for when they come back to class? We're going to have to relearn all those social rules and norms, um, routines and things like that that go along with being in a school setting. How do we walk the corridor with tons and tons of people? And now we've been used to a lot of quiet for a year or more now, essentially. And so as we go back into busier environments, more crowded environments, those can also be challenges for our individuals on the autism spectrum. And so how do we start to kind of desensitize them again to some of those things? Can we start exposing them to different situations that might be a challenge for their own particular child? So again, when we think about autism, every individual is completely unique, and some might have difficulties in some situations and some in others. Um, But if you know your child and what might be more difficult for them, if we can start to prepare them again for some of these things that are going to be coming back to reality in the next, I'd say, few months or so. That's fascinating. I know that no group is monolithic, but I never would have thought that this could have been a real benefit to some of these kids who could do online learning, that it takes out one of the more challenging parts of their lives, the social uh, interactions. And so if we think about autism, we think of it as a core social disability. And so we've made that aspect of their day-to-day life a whole lot easier uh, throughout the pandemic. And how has that played out with these kinds of public health behaviors that everyone has had to learn over the last year, remaining distant from people outside of your household, wearing masks? How have these kids dealt with that? And that's a great question. Again, everybody's pretty unique, but there's been lots of children on the autism spectrum that have had a really difficult time with masks. You know, they cover your mouth, obviously. And lots of individuals on the autism spectrum also have sensory sensitivities. So having something extra on their mouth might be something very difficult for them. And in the beginning of the pandemic, particularly when no one was really vaccinated at that point, so the the viral spread was much higher, we were trying to teach parents how to get their child to comply with wearing a mask. And so we offered strategies like go find whatever their favorite thing is, whether it's Thomas the Tank Engine or animals, and buy those masks so that they can maybe like what they're wearing. Practice it at home, and then everybody's wearing them, and gradually increase the time that you wear a mask. And so a lot of families, I think, have really learned a lot of these strategies. Uh, And the kids have been surprising us every day in how well they're wearing their masks hand washing and other things like that, I think our families have just done such a great job of teaching these skills. But a lot of it just comes with breaking it down, practicing it, and getting the children used to it so that it does become part of that routine. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Cheryl Clayman, a psychologist at the Marcus Autism Center, about what the pandemic has meant for kids with autism spectrum disorder. My understanding is you also do research there at the Marcus Autism Center. How has that been affected by the pandemic? Has it been harder to conduct studies um, in an age when we can't gather as, as safely as we used to be? 
that's been absolutely the case. And so we have many, many studies here, and we closed down here in the Marcus Autism Center at the same time as everyone else in mid-March. And we started reopening for clinical services in May. And so we did a lot of very careful and thoughtful work to make sure we were keeping everybody as safe as possible. But we started to conduct our diagnostic evaluations and run all the other services also here at Marcus in the hope that families could access services because we did not want to be part of delaying any intervention services that the child would benefit from. Our research studies, almost all of them also entail a clinical evaluation. So a lot of the times we might try some procedures and then determine whether a child has changed in their symptomatology or we might be following very closely symptoms from birth through, you know, three years of age. So any study that had a characterization component or a diagnostic component, we started to be able to redo those again in August. But anything that was more experimental, so we do a lot of um, studies using eye tracking to try and get information about what a child is looking at and to see if that can help us understand kind of their social and language behaviors. And when we had to stop those studies, that's going to be a lot of loss of data for better understanding child development, essentially. What was also implicated in that is that none of the measures that we do um, or did prior to the pandemic were developed thinking through wearing a mask, right, or wearing other PPE. And so we're not even sure at this point, even doing our characterizations, what that's going to mean for the research studies. And so if we think about autism and social, if we're trying to get a good sense of social experiences, we do a lot of looking at facial expressions. And when you're wearing masks, it's very hard, obviously, to see how a child responds when you smile or when you look afraid. So those things are definitely going to be impacted um, going forward. We just don't know quite yet the degree of how much. We're at this kind of inflection point in the pandemic where more and more people are getting vaccinated. And certainly here in Georgia, things have opened up. That's happening more around the country. What is your kind of outlook from this point forward for these kids and some of the biggest challenges you think they'll face as we start to return to whatever normal uh, looks like after the pandemic? So in terms of when and how things are going to open back up and, and how our children are going to get reacclimated to, you know, kind of real world, I think is going to be partly a function of how we kind of do all this preparation. And so as you know, you're starting to go back out to places, I think, to try and remember back as a parent what it was like. So when you went to a restaurant before, how were things successful for you? Did you know in advance kind of what your child would like to eat? And if not, did you have other snacks that could kind of bring them through so you could sit and enjoy the dinner that we're probably all craving right now to be out and about more naturally? Um, if, you know, you went to malls before and your child was obsessed with the escalator, how did you handle that before? Try and remember back and what strategies you used in order to have a successful experience being out and about. If fluorescent lights have been really challenging um, and now your child has had a year of being used to the natural light that you have in your house, how can we again start to reacclimate the child so that they can be as successful as possible? But then I think also we need to give ourselves grace. And I think going back and having another big change is going to be difficult or can be difficult. And so how can we best prepare and see what's going to happen and flex and adapt um, so that we can make it as you know beneficial for everyone as possible? I think there are still a lot of questions for 
children in general about how they will carry the pandemic uh, with them over the course of the rest of their lives. Are there any special considerations or things that you're watching out for for children with autism spectrum disorder? I mean, you mentioned, you know, they've been out of school for a year. That's potentially a year lost of learning social cues and, and learning about social interaction. So is, is that something you're watching? And maybe what other things are you concerned about moving forward? Yeah, I think some of that reduction in the social experiences, and that's probably based a little bit on the developmental level and age of a child. So if we think about our two-year-olds that we're seeing right now, they've been in more isolation for you know half of their lives at this point. And so I think when we think about that, as parents start to put their children back into childcare and preschool kind of settings, we have to remember that they've had a lot more time at home, that there might be a lot of initial anxiety, more separation anxiety that we're going to see. And so we need to make sure we have these transition periods thoughtful and laid out. And I'm sure teachers are going to be on the lookout for all of this as well. I think some of those things that go along with social experiences. So if you're more anxious in a social situation, that might be even more exacerbated as we start to reintegrate. But we know that the kids are going to be able to do this and it's just going to take some time and we will help them through. And then if we think about adolescents, for example, if they've missed kind of a formative middle school year, um, in some ways that might be beneficial because that's height of bullying and, and times like that. But they're still all very important learning opportunities for things like how do we build relationships? How do we have conversations? How do we start dating? Um, and so just to for everybody out there to be really thoughtful for our children and what they might have been missing and to help make sure that we're teaching them as we see these behaviors arise. Are you worried that for these children, this will be some kind of setback this last year, or is that not even the way that you look at it? I mean, I don't think we're looking at it that way. Thankfully, there's been lots of places that have been continuing to offer services, even if school might have been closed. So there's lots of people that have been really trying to think creatively. I've been really impressed with the professionals in the field, whether it's been the speech pathologists, the occupational therapists, social skills groups that are running via Zoom, to still try and give these children opportunities to practice and retain any skills that they had been working on prior to the closures. And so I think you know, there's been also tons of behavioral places where they work on teaching discrete skills to children that have also been open this time. They might have been doing more one-on-one -on -one sessions rather than smaller groups, or they might have been doing shorter days rather than longer days. So I'm hopeful that the learning is going to take off again as soon as we start to reopen and get more structure into place. The scientific studies that have suggested connections between autism spectrum disorder and vaccines have been thoroughly debunked. However, I would imagine working with this population, it's something that's in the air, whether or not it's explicitly discussed. Are you concerned at all that this kind of association, even though, again, it has been scientifically debunked, is going to make this population think differently about getting their kids vaccinated? Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. And so we answer lots of questions here about did the vaccines that um, were administered to my child at their 18-month or 24-month visit result in the presentation that we're seeing today. And we're always very clear that no, there is absolutely no relation. A lot of the research that we're doing is really showing that Autism is present from, from birth, if not before birth. Um, we can see some differences even in the womb. 
And so because of that, we know that there's absolutely no link to the vaccines, as you said. We do really want to encourage our families to vaccinate their children when the vaccines are approved for their child's specific age. We do know that kids with autism can be more at risk. They might have difficulties with space boundaries, so they're getting closer in people's faces. They might be more likely to pick up objects and put them in their mouths, um, so they could be more at risk for contracting, whether it's coronavirus or other illnesses. So we always recommend being as fully vaccinated as you possibly can based on medical expertise. What does the next year look like for these families as hopefully things really do start to get more and more back to normal for all of us? What is your kind of hope for the future? I guess my hope for the future would be that we can feel comfortable engaging in all these social interactions again and going back and, you know, making sure our children um, and adults, anyone on the autism spectrum or anyone, is having access to all the social opportunities that they need in order to help them prepare to be as independent and fully functioning as possible. And so I just really want to make sure and remind people that we need to also just, again, give everybody grace. And so if we go to a grocery store and you see a child throwing a tantrum, um, it might be because they haven't been out of the house in a year. And so we need to make sure that we're accepting and helpful and do what we can to, to help families kind of reacclimate to outside of their, their homes, outside of being on Zoom classrooms all day for teachers and parents and everybody to remember that so that we can be there to support each other as a society. And again, just make sure everybody's getting all the, the help they need, whether it's coming to places like Marcus Autism Center and gaining that support or being in a community in a grocery store and knowing that people are going to be there to be as helpful to you as possible. Cheryl Clayman is a psychologist at the Marcus Autism Center. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.